Welcome to the Diabetics Doing Things podcast, where we explore the amazing stories of type 1 diabetics around the world. I'm your host, Rob Howe, Diabetics Doing Things founder and 11-year type 1 diabetic. Help raise awareness for Diabetics Doing Things by sharing this with your diabetic friends. We're also on Facebook and Instagram. Tag a type 1 friend today. All right, we are here, episode eight of Diabetics Doing Things, um, and our special guest today is Hannah Hamlin, uh, and who uh, we actually got connected a couple weeks ago, uh, right when we were starting Diabetics Doing Things uh, via email. Um, so welcome, so excited to have you on the show. Thanks, I'm excited to be here. So tell us a little bit about yourself. How did you, uh, first of all, I think my the thing I'm interested in right off the bat the most is how... Uh, how did you find diabetics doing things? What's the uh, walk us through sort of how we made that connection? Um, well, I think I might have found you on Instagram, um, and then you have a blog, so I linked to that, and I was just reading about it. I have a blog too, so I'm always interested to see what other people with diabetes are writing about. Um, and then you had mentioned a podcast. And I thought that was a really cool idea. I just uh, moved states last summer, and I just don't know anybody with type 1 here. And so sometimes I feel like uh, that connection is really helpful. So listening to your podcast so far this semester has been really great. Um, Just, you know, to feel less lonely and have somebody who kind of gets what you're going through and uh, just to have that grounding. So That's been something that's been interesting for me, too, really over the last year. Um, I've never really had a bunch of type one friends who are around all the time um, just just because, I don't know, by happenstance maybe that they just weren't around. Uh, but really the last year or so, um, I do improv at the Dallas Comedy House and uh, there are at least three type one diabetics and two who I see very frequently and uh, who have both been on uh, diabetics doing things. Um, but just having them around and like having some people that you know you can like share that uh, you know, the, the struggle with sometimes it's like, Oh man, I'm really not feeling it today. I've had low blood sugar all day or like, I can't, my blood sugar has just been weird today. I don't, I'm not feeling it. That's such a huge piece of, uh, you know, finding that community. So I'm really glad you found it through us. Cause that's why we're doing it. Yeah. Well, I'm really glad too. I think it's definitely made a difference in my semester. Just having that therapeutic almost, you know? Yeah, absolutely. And, um, our, our episode today is diabetics doing medical school. Um, so first of all, like before we kind of get into that, let's uh, talk a little bit about your diagnosis and how long you've had type one. And then we'll kind of go, uh, because I know you've already, uh, you know, spoiler alert, but you've already mentioned you're going, you're studying to become an endocrinologist. So that's super cool. Yeah, I'm excited about that. Well, let's see. I was, um, my 10 year anniversary was about six or maybe seven days ago, um, in the beginning of February. So that was a big deal for me. I, uh, spent some time reflecting on, um, on having diabetes for that long and just kind of what it had taught me and where I was because of it. And I think that was more emotional than I expected it to be. (laughs) But, um, so diagnosed, I was 13 years old and uh, I was living in Houston, Texas at the time. And, uh, just not feeling good, kind of uh, going to the restroom a lot, craving orange juice for whatever reason. And my parents are really brilliant and they knew something was up. I wasn't acting like myself. So my mom took me to our family physician's office. Uh, she thought maybe I had a UTI or something like that, or just something was off. And so they ran some tests and um, did the blood sugar and a urine test and different things. And my family physician said, well, um, I think you really need to go see an endocrinologist. And so I 
my mom was like, okay, we can call and make an appointment later this week. And they're like, no, 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 you need to go. Uh, you probably need to go right now. We already called and made an appointment. They're waiting for you. So we get in the car and we are driving to the endo and um, just kind of confused as to why our doctor didn't tell us a lot about what was going on and uh, why we had to go there immediately, you know, because I didn't think anything was crazy, um, crazy wrong. I was just feeling a little off. And so we get there and uh, sit down in the office, and there was a nurse there, and she had all this stuff laid out, the, the shots and the blood sugar meter. And so she starts telling me about how I'm going to take shots every day when I eat and test my blood sugar this many times. And I remember looking at her like, I don't understand why. What's wrong with me? Um, and so they had not told me I had diabetes. They forgot that step. Um, <laughs> in the process, which was kind of a bummer. So finally, she's like, oh, yes, you have type 1 diabetes. And, of course, I didn't know what that was at 13. I kind of knew what type 2 was. I thought maybe it was something that older people, people got I didn't understand. Uh, but my mom started crying, and so I was crying, and, you know, that big emotional uh, thing. And then finally kind of figuring out what it was, and I remember asking, okay, well, how long do I need to do this? And, oh, you're the rest of your life. Uh, and crying more. And then I remember the nurse looking at me and asking me why I was crying. And for me, that was really, um, I guess that was the first time I really felt alone with diabetes. I know sometimes uh, it can just be something where you feel like people don't understand you. And that was the first time that I felt like that. And so my blood sugar, I think, was only about 550 or a little bit above that. It wasn't hugely high. So I took my first shot in the office and they sent me home with just a list of supplies. Uh, at the time we got to the office, it was about 4.30, so they were about to close at 5, and I kind of got the feeling they were rushing me out, which was a little sad, you know. So right. anyway, um, it was a rough experience, but get home, do my first shot with dinner at home, and it took me about 45 minutes. I remember my dad sitting with me in the dining room trying to talk me through it and, you know, the resistance and being scared and uh, just the idea of having to do that for the rest of your life was really overwhelming. Um, and then the next morning I got up and went to school and my mom brought me lunch and just kind of moved on with my life. And that was it. There wasn't a big moment like, or a big, you know, time off where I really had time to think about it. I just kept pushing forward and now I'm here, I guess. Wow. <laughs> so, so you didn't even, you didn't spend any time in the hospital. I've uh, never been to the hospital so for type never 1 been diabetes. To the hospital, no like extended training. You got there at 4.30. They were like, all right, well, got to go. It's 5.30. Time to got to beat traffic and get back home. Uh, good luck. Yeah. And uh, I think one of the best parts, well, now I laugh at it. At the time, it wasn't funny. But they sent us with this CD-ROM kind of or a DVD to tell us, you know, how to do the shots and the carb counting and stuff. And we get home and we put it in and they accidentally gave us a Spanish version. So it wasn't <laughs> even in English. It was all Spanish. And I mean, we don't look like we speak Spanish in my family, but my mom, uh, she minored in Spanish, so she was able to kind of interpret some of it, but it was like a really loose interpretation of what we were supposed to do. And So your, so. your full diabetes education was translated secondhand from a <laughs> Spanish DVD. Uh, well, I mean, we did go back endo. to the endo and, you okay. know, do uh, different classes, but that was, that was the intro to it was Spanish, so. <laughs> that is fantastic. That is truly unique. Um, and I think the reason I start off these uh, these interviews when we talk about diagnosis is, every, first of all, everyone's experience is so different. Um, you know, from from I had a very similar one to you. I went to the urgent care and then and then straight from the urgent care to the hospital. But they told me that I had diabetes at the urgent care. They're like, yeah, like you've That's you have good. type one diabetes. So I had this entire like twenty five minute car ride uh, from South Dallas where I lived to uh, to Children's Hospital. 
And I was just like boohooing, crying the whole time. Like I had no idea. So, and then, you know, I managed to like compose myself a little bit going inside. Um, but it's, it's interesting, like the differences in bedside manner and just like the way that you find out make a huge difference on, uh, how you approach things. So uh, I want to focus on something too. You had mentioned that the nurse asked you why you were crying. Uh, did she explain, was it, is that part of an explanation of, well, you can live your life normally with diabetes or she was just confused? I don't know. I mean, it was 10 years ago, so I don't exactly remember. I just remember that sentence and her looking at me and me thinking, why? I mean, why wouldn't I be crying? Like, this is a huge diagnosis that'll affect me for the rest of my life. Like, I just, I thought that that was so crazy that she wasn't able to, you know, put herself in my shoes and understand that at 13, that's a really scary thing to hear. Um, And maybe that's part of what motivates me to want to become a physician. And I think bedside manner is huge. So, yeah, absolutely. You've been a diabetic for 10 years. Um, you're making the decision now. Uh, you're like outside of your undergrad. And, and at what point did you know you wanted to be a, uh, an endocrinologist? Um, that's a good question. It definitely didn't start that way. Uh, I remember in high school thinking that I never wanted to have a job that had anything to do with diabetes because I didn't want to have that as a bigger part of my life than it already was. Right. Um, but I went to undergrad and I actually I had a lot of health issues um, in undergrad and I was diagnosed with mono um, and put on steroids at the school, um, the school health center, and then just lost a lot of weight and a lot of my insulin sensitivity. Hmm. Um, so I really struggled uh, with health. My immune system kind of crashed, and I had a lot of you know repercussions from that. And so I really had to do a lot of research, uh, kind of on my own, to figure out what was going on. I felt like um, my family physician knew a lot about you know the mom but didn't know a lot about diabetes and then vice versa for my endocrinologist. Uh, So I feel like uh, I started to really do a lot of research and um, the stuff that I learned uh, was able to help my health so much. I thought, wow, this is really cool. Uh, I kind of wish that, you know, maybe this would be something I'd like to do for other people. And at the time I was at Texas A&M studying nutrition. Uh, So I kind of fell in love with the way that, you know, the food that we eat affects our blood sugar and learning about that for the first time, really, um, because at diagnosis, I wasn't told to change my diet at all. Right. Um, Just to count the carbs and, you know, almost eat more processed foods because they have the nutrition labels on the back. So I think that uh, I just really, you know, fell in love with the science and um, being able to help people. And then the really um, big moment for me that made me decide I wanted to become a doctor was one summer in undergrad, I was working at a camp for kids with type 1 diabetes. And I was there as a medical staff and we were, you know, we would help the little, the little eight-year-old girls do their shots for the first time and, you know, help them go swimming and put, take their pump off and change their pump sides and all that kind of stuff. And I just really uh, felt like I was making a positive difference in the world. And so that was kind of my big motivator. And so I ended up applying uh, my senior year at A&M and I got in. And so I'm just completing my first year of medical school. So I'm just starting. <laughs> it's a long road ahead. Sure. That's, that's so awesome though that, um, and I, I really want to focus on the, um, the diabetes camp piece too, because, uh, that's not something I did. I, I didn't go, I, I had an opportunity, I think, you know, early on, but I got, I got diabetes when I was 16. So I was like, you know, I was, I was so cool. Um, you know, I didn't want to go to diabetes camp. So, um, and, and so I think, you know, when I talk to people now, they, they talk about what like a huge formative experience it was for them to spend that time around other people with type one diabetes. So, uh, what was that like spending, especially with, you know, young kids, 
um, who you know were five years younger than you were when you got diagnosed. What, uh, what was that like working with them? Yeah, well, I actually uh, the camp that I was in medical staff at, I was um, went to as a kid, and that first summer after I was diagnosed, uh, my parents uh, made me go. And the one I went to was in Texas Lions Camp. Mm-hmm. Um, it's in Kerrville, Texas, so not too far from me, Rob. But um, it, I went as a kid, and uh, that first semester, I wasn't able to find the courage to tell any of my friends that I had type one. It was kind of like a little secret that I had. I remember getting really emotional when my mom had to tell my teachers, you know, in school. And I went that summer and just hanging out with other kids that had type one and, you know, seeing them test their blood sugar and be okay with it. And, you know, they were still happy, healthy kids and, you know, living their childhood. And that made a huge difference for me. Um, And I think just talking to them and, you know, the empathy that you can have with somebody that, really changed things. And I left camp wearing a shirt that said something with type one diabetes. And I remember I wore it to a restaurant on the way home. And my mom was so emotional because I was letting other people know I had type one. And that was a big step. Um, So for me, that was huge. Um, And then as a med staff, I think helping or you know, being there for kids that were so much younger, it made me really thankful that I had my childhood uh, kind of without it. And then I was able to adjust at a little bit of an older age. But it also made me realize that people with type 1 diabetes mature so quickly. I think um, it's just a huge weight to hang on your shoulders. And uh, those little kids are just amazing with the way that they can take care of themselves. I mean, they can explain to you eight-year-olds explaining what ketones are. I mean, my med student friends are still learning that. So it was just really cool, I think, um, and very humbling. Isn't that funny? Um, on, on a previous episode, we talked. I was talking to another guest, and uh, they were talking about how it sort of forces diabetes forces you to grow up. Um, and you, you know, I was 16, so it was a little bit of a shorter gap to close. Maybe, uh, some other people were in, you know, 13 or 15 like yourself. Um, but when you're five, six, seven years old and even younger than that, um, that's such a huge, uh, like you said, burden, but also just like cognitively, like it's something else that you have to think about. Um, and so that's interesting. You said, uh, you know, that you were glad that you had your childhood, I was glad that I had my, you know, really most of my teen years uh, to just kind of be a normal, regular kid and then uh, continue to be a normal, regular kid just with this extra uh, thing to think about and to plan ahead for. Yeah, yeah. I think you can definitely be a regular kid or teenager or grown up. You just have to do a little extra prep work, you know, and be cognizant of what's going on. Um, yeah. And I think, I think you're right. It's that the kids, uh, that are diagnosed younger, they just seem to have a greater sense of autonomy and they make decisions, you know, and have to stand up for themselves in certain situations, you know, like, no, I need to leave class right now to go test my blood sugar and treat this low, you know, and stand up against teachers or, you know, whatever it is, just being aware of what's going on. What changed for you? I think, um, once you sort of got either got home from camp or started to uh, become more comfortable with your life as a type 1 diabetic. How, uh, how did your demeanor change when you were talking to people about it? Were you more confident making those decisions stepping out of class or stepping out of, I don't know if you played sports or anything like that, um, you know, taking a seat for a second, testing your blood sugar, giving yourself a shot or grabbing some orange juice, whatever it might be? Yeah, I think... Um I think it changed in that I was okay with it myself. I had kind of come to terms that this was something I had and I was going to have the rest of my life and it was going to be okay and I could deal with it, you know, and my life wasn't going to suffer for it. You know, it was going to be okay. And I think once I accepted it uh, myself, I was able to talk about it with other people easily. 
um, and explain it. And sometimes people think it's cool and sometimes they think it's weird, you know, and you just have to kind of give them the facts and like, this is me and this is what I do. And it's different. Sure. But, but it works for me. And, you know, I think, uh, I think really just accepting it for myself was the, the key there. Yeah. Um, and that's, and that's huge. I mean, uh, just like anything else, but I think especially when you're talking about something that you're going to be dealing with for the rest of your life, uh, you know, when you start to make it a part of yourself publicly and like just accepting it and, um, you know, treating yourself with kindness sort of, and not, you know, blaming yourself for it, I think, or, you know, feeling sorry for yourself sometimes it, it you know, it's easy to slip into those habits. Um, so it's, it's kind of really cool when you, you know, when you talk about that process and think about, you know, the way you used to feel and those things. Um, so let's talk about some stories. Let's, let's just swap, swap diabetes stories. Any, what's your most maybe memorable, uh, living with diabetes story, whether that's low blood sugars or, uh, high blood sugars or whatever that might be, you know, supplies, scenarios, traveling, whatever. What do you got? Oh, let's see. There's so many to choose from. It's it's hard to pick a good one. Um, well, uh, I know you way, often ask about funny or low blood sugar stories. So I was trying to think of one before this, and one that came to mind was um, I was. It was a couple uh, months after I was diagnosed, and still kind of learning how to do things. My mom would come and wake me up in the middle of the night to test my blood sugar, which was really great that she did that. But one night, she woke me up, and I, I thought it was time. I guess I was dreaming, and I thought it was time to wake up. And so we tested my blood sugar, and I think it was low. Um, so my mom went to go grab some juice or something, and she comes back, and I guess I thought I was getting ready, and I was using the Lancet to like put on makeup. So I have the Lancet up here by my eye, and my mom freaked out because, of course, it's like cocked, and she thinks I'm gonna like poke my eyes out or something. <laughs> so that's one we laugh about a lot. I think that was pretty funny. Um, and then high blood sugar stories, I don't have a ton. I think when I my blood sugar's high, I just kind of am a little reclused and maybe not as chipper as normal. So I don't have any good ones for that. But low blood sugar, I mean, it's some of them are I don't know. So yeah, it's it's, it's interesting. You were saying when uh, you were diagnosed that you crave orange juice uh, when you were high. Uh, or that was kind of like what your body was was craving because when I when my blood sugar is low, uh, point me in the direction of some or, some OJ because that's like I feel like Super Mario after I drink it I just like power up right after this. So <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely feeling that when I was low. I think I was just craving orange juice when I was high before I was diagnosed because I didn't have any insulin, so I had a bunch of sugar, uh, but I wasn't able to use it right? right. So my body was saying we need more sugar all my cells. Um, but yeah, definitely when you're low, it's like your body releases all of these hunger hormones as a method of survival. And you just feel like you want to eat everything. And sometimes, I mean, sometimes I give into that and eat way more sugar than I should for a low, but it's hard. You know, you only have so much, I think, self-control when your body's in that fight or flight response. So you just kind of got to do what you got to do. I remember a few times in college where I'd have like a pretty low hypo, um, and I'd like take a beat and I'd be like, Hey, this is just, I feel I'm okay. I'm safe. This is an opportunity for me to get creative with this junk food. And, <laughs> and so I remember, you know, just like organizing this plate of like the weird of, you know, peanut butter and jelly and orange juice and cookies and all this stuff is like, so yeah, sometimes, um, those are those guilty pleasure moments where you're like, okay, my blood sugar is low. I'm going to treat it, but I'm going to treat this low in style. <laughs> and then I'm going to have to take insulin after. Cause yeah. I, <laughs> obviously yeah. you have to overcorrect, right? Um, yeah. What's the, what's something that you've learned, you know, in your, maybe in your studies, um, that maybe has, that you didn't know before, uh, about 
type one or diabetes in general, or just, you know, some sort of scientific, um, I don't know, methodology to something that you already knew? Huh. I realize that's that's a a great question. question. Um, That's a good one. Well, I think definitely an undergrad studying nutritional sciences, just learning how much food impacts our blood sugar uh, was huge for me. And um, I was able to, you know, tweak some things in my diet that really had a positive impact on my health. Um, So that was cool. I think just the general kind of lifestyle things that I learned from that. And um, now in medical school, we're kind of learning a lot. We just uh, did a section on acid-base disorders. And so we were learning how to treat uh, different things that cause acidosis like DKA or diabetic ketoacidosis. So learning um, not just giving insulin with those people, but also giving potassium um, and why that is and the different mechanisms. I think stuff like that for me is so interesting, Um, especially when I have a place, you know, to kind of apply it to So uh, stuff like that's been really interesting. Um, But what I've also learned through my education is being around other people who are into medicine and science and their view of type 1 diabetes and what they think it is or what causes it or how it comes about has been really interesting. I think everybody, um, there's a lot of misconceptions out there, as I'm sure you know, because you probably hear them all the time. Um, But a lot of people think that we're born with type 1 diabetes and that, you know, or it's something that we got because we ate too much sugar when we were little. Uh, that one kind of hurts, I think, because it's definitely not something we did to ourselves. Right. Um, and just different different ideas. You know, a lot of people think that people who get DKA and go into the ER, it's because of uncompliance. And I think that's definitely not the case. I don't think they realize that it only takes about eight hours without insulin before you start seeing, you know, high levels of ketones with high blood glucose. And that could be just, you know, you rolling over at night and your insulin pump site falling out and you're not catching it until you wake up. And then that's it. So... I think um, I think what other people think about diabetes is almost as interesting as what I'm actually learning, you know. So. Well, and I think too, you know, look at that level, you're talking to future, uh, you know, practitioners, right, and future right. doctors, right. So um, to hear their perspective on it and having it be sort of across the board, uh, just like everyone else's, I'm sure has been interesting. Um, any of them stand out uh, in, in particular of uh, you know misconceptions about type one? Um, that's a good one. I think, I think that the being born with type one diabetes was a big one. I, in undergrad, my biochemistry professor taught that to a class of 300 students. I just remember sitting there being so upset. I'm like, this isn't true. Where are you getting this science and why are you teaching it to us? You know, I was so upset. So I ended up talking to him after about it and he was very, you know, understanding and then corrected himself. Um, but that was just something that I was like, wow, really at this level, (laughs) we're still here. So right. Well, (laughs) that's a big one in my eyes. Isn't that crazy how, I, I mean, I think about, um, really the last 11 years or so and like how the technology and research has evolved and like the new, and all the new studies that have come out. Uh, and then I think back like, uh, one of, one of the type ones, uh, who's around, uh, the comedy club, uh, with me has had diabetes for 47 years. So the, she has seen like the full spectrum of like insulin from cows to like where she is today with like a, with like an Omnipod pump. So, um, like it's so crazy to think how quickly like some of the research, you know, gets progressed, but imagine like, you know, if you, if you hadn't been in that class, uh, you know, those 300 students might not have, uh, had the latest, most up-to-date, uh, you know, diabetics, you know, information on diabetes. So, um, so props to you. So you're out there, you're out there doing things and, and, and helping, uh, you know, to dispel some of those misconceptions. 
Yeah, it's something I've actually um, had to be really conscious of, I think, in my medical school class, because I know that um, most, I mean, my class is 100 students, so most of them know that I have type 1 diabetes, and what I do is going to be what their conception of um, diabetes is, you know, what they think when they have that first patient with type 1 that comes into their office, whatever they're practicing, um, and so I've had to be really careful because I, I eat a very kind of like low-carb diet um, because that's what works for me, but I that does not work for everybody, and I totally realize that, so I've had to be really careful when sometimes my friends will be like, oh, would you like a piece of cake? Oh, wait, I forgot got you have diabetes, you can't eat that. And I have to say, hey, actually, I choose not to eat that because it doesn't make me feel good. But people with diabetes can totally eat cake. They just have to, you know, count the carbs. And I just have to be very careful with making sure that, you know, I'm not the only picture of diabetes that they see and them knowing that there's a whole spectrum of ways to take care of yourself with this disease um, and just making sure that that's something they recognize. Um, and that so they don't reprimand, you know, patients when they come in if they're, you know, eating different things or, or whatnot. Not that physicians ask about diet maybe as much as they should, but. <laughs> well, and I think that you really hit the nail on the head, right? We're all so different. This disease is by and large different every single day. Um, you know, I, I'm eating a very strict diet right now, eating, um, you know, really healthy, really high quality ingredients. And still I have days where my blood sugar just spikes in the middle of the day for, and I can't point that back to anything other than uh, well, that's how my body decided to react today. Um, yeah. And so, yeah, I think that's really interesting. It's like, yeah, there, there were days where I would get that same question. We celebrate at my job uh, birthdays every month with like cupcakes or s'mores or like just regular cake. And pe- and almost, you know, for the first 10 or 12 uh, celebrations of while I was there, somebody would ask me like, hey, is this like, can you have that? Is, it, is that okay? It's like, yeah, I just have to count it. <laughs> Um, and, and some days I don't, some days I do eat, eat it. Some days I don't. And it, you know, it really just depends on how I feel. Yeah, definitely. Well, can I ask you how you've been doing with the, you said you're doing the whole 30 and mm-hmm. eating healthy. How has that been going for your blood sugars? What adjustments have you had to make and stuff like that? Oh my gosh. Uh, it's been amazing. So I actually did a podcast, um, on Thursday, recorded an interview with the founder of whole 30. Um, and so that'll be coming out, uh, this week, uh, diabetics doing whole 30, kind of like a switched format where she really interviewed me. Um, but long story so short, cool. um, obviously like very, very low carb. Um, very, you know, no sugar, no, um, and so like your spikes are like almost eliminated. So like you're, it's a very low like curve and you're keeping very close to, um, you know, your nice, your, your good, strong base levels and, um, really like, and almost totally eliminated all of my boluses for that 30 days and my basal reduced like 60% as well. So I, I virtually uh, cut down like 70% of my insulin consumption and kept my, kept my levels still really low. So I love it uh, and I feel yeah. amazing. So um, I'm taking a couple of days off and just having some, uh, I really wanted some noodles. I have this great noodles uh, shack like right by my apartment that I really wanted. Um, and then I'm going to jump right back in and do another one because it just, I just feel so good, uh, really great energy and, um, you know, it's, it just makes so much sense for my diabetes. And plus, you know, insulin is a depressant, you know? So, yeah. uh, and I think a lot of people overlook that. Like, you know, on some days, even when your blood sugar is fine, uh, you just kind of feel down because you're, you know, your body's, you know, you're introducing that outside steroid that's bringing, you know, that's helping you get balanced, but brings you down sometimes. So, you know, the less dependent I can get on it, the better I, you know, I feel. And whether that's, you know, there's any science to that or it's just like mental, um, 
you know, because you know what? What uh, I talk there's about, science to that. Okay, <laughs> yeah. So yeah, there's there's science to that. Great. At least I have that back up now. But also, um, from a from a nerd perspective, I got to think. You know, I got to look out. Zombie apocalypse is around the corner, guys. You know, we got to keep an eye out for it. Um, which is a joke that I tell, but also like, what you know? What if there's some sort of tragedy and you and you have to uh, and you know your insulin production is down and you know what I mean? So you have to have ways to know how to take care of yourself with you know what if insulin isn't an option somehow? What if there's a shortage? You know, whatever that is. And I and I like those challenges of hey. I have this disease, but also um, I've t- I've kept myself in such good condition and shape that um, I can eating the right things um, and really knowing your body and listening to your body, um, you know, you can get through a lot. So all that to say, it's a long roundabout way to say I love doing Whole30. The one thing is that you do have some lows that kind of sweep in because you're eating really low carb. Uh, so I always keep um, uh, 100% all natural, uh, unpasteurized orange juice around. Um, just to get, just to perk me back up if I get a little bit low. Awesome. Yeah. Well, I eat similar to that. Um, and I definitely have had the same experience that my insulin needs have dropped a lot and I just feel so much better. It's a huge game changer and not having those big swings in blood sugar. I mean, for me studying all the time and having tons of tests, that's a, that's a big thing I worry about, you know, just from an academic standpoint. So it's absolutely just made a huge difference in my life. And I love that you said um, zombie apocalypse because that's a joke in my family too. Uh, my mom won't let me throw away my expired insulin. There was one point where we had mail order um, insulin and they just sent right. us too much. And she absolutely doesn't, she doesn't want me to throw it away because she's like, if something happens, like the zombie apocalypse joke, that we can at least use it because it's not fully denatured. You know, it's going to help a little bit. And um, I that came true when I was living in Houston and we had a hurricane um, where some trees were knocked down in our neighborhood and we were kind of stuck there for a couple of days and we didn't know how long that that would be. Um, but I think in a case like that, I mean, that's huge, you know, it could be something, something like that. Um, and then as well, there are certain diseases that also have life-saving drugs, uh, that are enzymes. Um, and often the pharmaceutical company that makes them, it's a small group of people. So there's only one company. And if something happens to that company, then those people are in big trouble. So it's absolutely a real thing. You know, we joke, but it's true. It's true. Well, and like you said, um, you know, sort of in your hurricane example, um, you know, you're eight hours without insulin until you're in DKA, even if you're, you know, super compliant and regulate your blood sugars really well. I mean, that's just a reality. So, uh, yeah, that's, that's really great. Uh, you know, and I, I'm kind of the same way, you know, a lot of people are like, oh, well, you've had that for longer than a month, you should probably throw it out. And it's like, oh, well, what if I need it? You know, then at least I have something. And I've never had any issues with insulin going bad or anything like that, knock on wood. So, um, that's, that's good. So let's talk, let's talk about this. Uh, since we're on this, we're on this vein, uh, what's your plan? What's your zombie apocalypse plan? Cause I've got one. Um, and it's, it's, it's intricate. So what do you, what do you got? What are you going to do? Zombie apocalypse happens today. What's your next move? Well, maybe I haven't put as much thought into it as you, so I might need to take notes. Um, but I think just definitely cutting back carbs even further than I have, you know, trying to exercise a lot to upregulate those receptors that um, bring glucose into your muscles and in your fat storage so you don't need as much insulin. I would probably just kind of like biohack my way through it, trying to decrease my insulin needs. Um, and definitely maybe rate a CVS depending on, oh, for sure. you know, what it got down to. So what about you? Yeah. Um, 
I want to, I want to, don't, don't let me forget uh, to talk a little bit about exercise because I want to talk since you're, since you have the science background, I want to table that till we finish the zombie discussion because this is important, obviously, but it's very um, important. <laughs> zombie apocalypse happens tomorrow. Uh, my first step is to hold up because it's the first like 48 hours are going to be complete mayhem. Everybody's going crazy. <laughs> um, so yeah, just hold up. Um, and then during that time, kind of tactically map out where the Walgreens are in the area and then just raid them one by one systematically. And then, because I think once you have all that insulin in one place, uh, you know, that sort of dictates how long you have left, I suppose, uh, before you really have to go find some more. So I think that's my uh, wait 48 hours, wait for it all to blow over and everybody to get, um, uh, you know, kind of settle down or find their places and then go uh, to those Walgreens and find that insulin. Cause I feel like, uh, you know, when people are, if, if people are looting a Walgreens or a CVS, they're going for like the narcotics and they're going to leave like the drugs in the fridge, uh, probably alone. That's at least my belief. Right. So, yeah, I think so too. And if we got really smart about it, we could probably find, I mean, insulin synthetically made now so you could find a lab where they make it and man, we'd be golden. Yeah. Then, then you're done. <laughs> I mean, that's, that's the lottery of the apocalypse, I think. Uh, Pretty much. Yeah. Um, so, <laughs> All jokes aside, uh, you were talking about the impact on uh, on your receptors from exercise. Uh, I was an athlete in college and a little bit afterwards uh, playing professionally, and I always had, you know, whenever I was in a period of extreme training or uh, in really good shape, my blood sugar levels were always better uh, without fail. Even that continued after just, you know, when I was working out more, um, you know, just going to the gym. So can you talk a little bit about the science behind that? Yeah, absolutely. This is the stuff I love. So um, we have these receptors on our muscles and in some of our fat cells called GLUT4 receptors. And when we exercise, um, we upregulate them so they become more active. And those receptors, pretty much they help you store the glucose from your blood into your muscle cells or into your fat cells um, as fat. So um, anyway, so those receptors are upregulated when we work out. And if you've heard kind of in bodybuilding, they talk about that 30-minute anabolic workout or 30-minute anabolic uh, window Mm -hmm. post-workout. And that's what when they try to carb load and you get a lot of protein in because they know their body can use that food more efficiently to store in their muscles. Um, So when we are working out, uh, especially strength training, but it could be anything, cardio, I mean, a lot of us know the ways that our blood sugar swings when we work out. Mm-hmm. Um, we're able to become more insulin sensitive, meaning that we need less insulin then. Um, and we also have that natural GLUT4 receptor upregulation, which helps us store store glucose. Um, and I think when we uh, work out, so that's kind of the receptor side of things. But as well, just from a bigger standpoint, when we work out um, regularly, we're kind of burning through the glycogen stores in our muscles. And uh, so our body is able to store the glycogen back more efficiently when we top off those glycogen stores, then our body kind of has to start converting that glucose to fat and storing it as fat. Um, And that takes a little bit more insulin. Uh, We'll notice maybe we'll get a little bit less insulin sensitive when our glycogen stores are full in our muscles. So just kind of keeping that glycogen stores, you know, always working it off a little bit and storing it back, that can definitely help with blood glucose control as well. That's fantastic. Um, I I need to make sure that uh, we plug your blog on this towards towards the end because I'm sure you have uh, some insights on there as well, like being a med student and a type one diabetic. So we want to make sure that um, 
uh, that we link you up there and uh, when we post this as well because that's really interesting and that's something where uh, my expertise as a diabetic is just from experience uh, but I always love to have a, a, not only another diabetics rec uh, recommendation and sort of sign off but also somebody who really knows what they're talking about so um, I'm sure that we'll be reaching out to you in the future just, just to give us some science behind some of our uh, you know, tips and tricks for uh, being a type 1 cool I totally love that uh, so let's, uh, as we sort of like uh, wind down, let's, I, I, I try to ask, and sometimes I forget, but um, if, if we opened up your diabetes kit, um, what do we find? What's, uh, what are you carrying with you either every day or say you were going on like a, a trip, uh, you know, either to Europe or wherever you were going for, for a trip for a few days, what's in your kit? Let's see. Well, my daily, my daily kit right now is actually pretty uh, crazy. I <laughs> go to school all day and then I end up usually going to the gym after class and then maybe to the library or to a friend's to study or back to school to study. So I try to bring a lot of meals with me. Um, that's something that I usually eat breakfast here in the morning at my apartment and then I'll bring lunch and probably dinner just in case I get caught out studying somewhere or in a study group. So I'm always prepared just to have food on hand. Um, so for, that's the food aspect. I always, always have something um, to eat when I'm low. I'll have some juices, um, but I've been doing, they have these little um, 10 grams of carbs boxes of raisins, organic raisins that are awesome. And I love those because um, I wear a CGM, so I can usually tell when I have a low coming on. So even though the raisins have a little bit more fiber, they'll digest in time to kind of fix that low, usually when I catch it. If I'm really low, below like 50 or so, then I'll definitely hit a juice. But um, so I have that, and then I always have, I wear an insulin pump, so I'll have my insulin pump clearly, and then my continuous glucose monitor, and then a finger test meter just to calibrate it if I feel like something's wrong or, you know, if something happens. And recently, I had a bad experience with some sites falling out um, during finals week last semester, so I've been carrying around some extra insets with me uh, just in my backpack since I have so much stuff already. Uh, it's easy to throw them in there, but that's been important. Uh, I got caught at the library during finals week uh, last semester, and my pump got my pump site got stuck on the chair, and I turned around and it ripped out, and then I had to drive home, and I was like, oh, I missed two hours of studying. I really needed that, you know, so <laughs> stuff like that. I think time management is important, so I just I tend to be overprepared uh, kind of with my lifestyle right now. I always talk about being in diabetics, like being a Boy Scout, you just always have to be prepared. So go ahead. Yeah, yeah. There was a time last week where I had a, a technical error in my pump. So I just brought my insulin vial, the new cartridge, everything to class. And during class, I'm just setting it up. <laughs> I'm like, we got to do what I got to do. I have to be here. We have an attendance policy. So, right. <laughs> but, um, and then traveling, I, let's see, the last time I traveled abroad was I went to Costa Rica two summers ago. And I just packed, um, I wasn't on the pump at the time, which is, which was kind of nice, I guess, just because there's a little bit less you have to bring. So I just brought enough insulin to last me maybe two weeks or three weeks. I always pack more just because you never know what's going to happen. Um, and then plenty of needles and test strips and then lots of snacks uh, for traveling, you know, on the airplane back and forth. Or, you know, just being in Costa Rica, you don't really know what kind of foods they're going to have or the availability of it. Um, especially with a different currency, that's always a worry. You know, you can't just go out and buy something if you just got there, you know, and you have to go and exchange money and stuff. So I always bring kind of a lot of food too. So, <laughs> yeah, I, I think, you know, especially when you're traveling to countries like I spent two weeks in Colombia earlier this year, I was like, you know, if some countries I'm pretty confident that I'd be able to figure out a solution if I, if something happened or like my insulin got stolen or my bag got lost or something. Um, 
but there are countries where it's like, I don't speak Spanish. I don't know how this healthcare system works. So it's like always over prepare and like keep as much stuff on, uh, your person as, as possible. But that's, that's really cool. Uh, and yeah, you're right. Like, you know, when you're on pens or you're just, uh, doing regular injections, sometimes there's less stuff to bring than with a pump, but obviously then you don't get the pump convenience. Yeah. Yeah. I've kind of gone back, back and forth through my life, uh, pump and then back to shots and, Surprisingly, my uh, blood glucose control doesn't change a whole lot. You know, it's just kind of preference for whatever's going on in my life at that time. So, yeah, I'm kind of the same way. Um, I, I I fought the pump for a long time. I didn't, I didn't think it was cool, um, and uh, but you know, once I got it, I was like, oh yeah, this is this is way better. I really like this. But my control stayed about the same. Stayed really, uh, mm-hmm. you know, I I'm proud of my control. I've got nice, uh, you know, good A1Cs. So. Um, that's, that's great. I think, um, as diabetics, we're often so proud of that number, you know, if it's something we're working hard for, I know like for me, my A1C is a way bigger deal than my GPA and it always has been like, that's just how it is. (laughs) So as it should be, you know, like one affects your life, literally affects your life. I mean, obviously GPA is important. I was a big nerd as well. So don't don't (laughs) feel bad about that, but yeah, A1C is super important. Um, and should be, and should be a, a, a point to, to brag, you know, when you have a, you know, you look at that chart and it's like, it has that big normal range, you know, it's like, oh, if you don't have diabetes and it has like elevated under control or whatever. And it's like, when you're in that range, it's like, Hey, yeah, I have diabetes, but, um, I'm right here in control of it. And, um, you know, these people down here didn't earn those numbers, you know, they just got, they got lucky. That's true. Yeah. It takes a lot of work to get there. It really does. Um, yeah. And I think as a, as someone who's in school to be a physician, I really have to remind myself daily that I can't sacrifice my health for, you know, uh, studying more or my GPA or my board scores, because I think, especially wanting to be an endocrinologist, that being able to take care of diabetes is my end goal anyway for my patients. So I better know how to do it myself for sure. You know, and I think that that's going to beat out grades or anything else. Um, and I, a lot of people in med school, you know, it's kind of, losing sleep, you know, not exercising. It's a lot of, it's a really stressful environment to be honest. And so, um, it's, it's a constant reminder, you know, I have to kind of do, do differently than my peers and, um, and go to the gym and not study as much, you know, and, and take time to cook my meals and stuff. So. All right. So any, anything, um, anything, any kind of last thoughts before, uh, you know, anything that you want to plug, uh, where do we find you on either social or tell us a little bit about your blog and, uh, how to get in touch. Sure. So, uh, my blog is called the keto life and it's on WordPress. So I'll definitely give you the link to post and I don't have, um, ton of information on there. I've kind of post maybe monthly lately, um, but I recently just uh, released an article about 10 things I learned from a decade with diabetes, and it just kind of is very more emotional than anything, but just kind of talking about the different things that diabetes has taught me over the years. And I'm working on a blog uh, for meal prepping. Uh, I do meal prep every week, and it's something that just saves me so much time and energy throughout the week, and it, it's really nice. And a lot of my friends have asked me about it, whether they have type 1 or not, you know, so I'm going to work on a uh, an article about that. And, uh, hopefully I'll just keep kind of keeping up to date. Um, so you can see me there. And then the other social media site I'm most active on is probably Instagram. I like to post pictures of my food. Hey, so <laughs> you can follow me there too. Uh, and I'll give you links, but that's about it. Fantastic. Well, thanks so much for coming on today. Uh, it was great to meet you. I'm really glad that we got to do this interview. Thanks for listening to diabetics doing things. Subscribe to our newsletter for weekly emails and behind the scenes content. And if you or someone you know has an amazing story to share, send an email to rob at diabeticsdoingthings.com.